0: Hyphen, it's for May 2011. I am writer hyphen critic hyphen 2011 palm door knower about Lee Zachariah and with me as always is...
1: Hi there, I'm uh, writer hyphen uh, director hyphen reclusive um, bearded uh, palm door winner Paul Anthony Nelson and with us today, our very special guest... Yes, it
2: is Anthony who is writer hyphen writer... um, That's pretty much it, I'm afraid. (laughs) Hyphen (laughs) Morris? Yeah, yes. (laughs) You'll you'll need a surname, yes. Yeah, thanks Madonna.
0: (laughs) Thank you for joining us, Anthony. Now, the films of May 2011 are, what are they? Do anyone bring a list?
1: Um, Well, have you guys seen the the Pirates movie?
0: Ah, yes. Sure have. What did you all think of that? Well, to me, it is... Uh, I, I honestly believe Jerry Bruckheimer is sick of everyone going, the third Pirates film sucked and wanted to change the conversation. So the conversation is now, the fourth Pirates film sucks. <laughs> uh, and uh, yes, I now have a lot of sympathy for the third one now, having seen the fourth Really? But that's kind of my broad feeling about it.
2: That's, that's a very harsh judgment, I feel. I'm, Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> one of these people, I, I saw the third film and... For some reason, I recall enjoying the second, whereas the third I thought was an incomprehensible pile of something incomprehensible. Agreed. Yeah, I'm not with you there. But watching the fourth one, I felt they had actually gone to the trouble of listening to my much-voiced complaint about it being incomprehensible and said, let's have a story that people can follow. No, no, I know. yeah, no, I do agree with you on that level because I think all the
0: mishigos of the third film, there was too much plot strands, you know, interweaving and crashing into each other and it wasn't handled as... The balance wasn't as good as the second film, which I do love. Um, and they kind of, I feel like they snapped back too far, like someone had pulled the elastic. And the plot of the fourth film is, let's go on a boat. You know, <laughs> it kind of, and and, and, and seriously, like, I, I, I promise, Paul, I'm not going to dredge up the whole Tron legacy thing. But you know my, <laughs> how I did the half an hour thing in the middle of the film where they're just on a, on a transport? Yeah. To, it's, it's a Disney obsession, I'm telling you. There is seriously half of Pirates, this big middle chunk where they're just travelling on a boat and running so, around
1: it. See, they seem to address all my concerns about uh, Pirates 3 in particular, but also 1 and 2 to a certain extent. Is they One, they got rid of Orlando Bloom and Keira Knightley. <laughs> two, they made it half an hour shorter. And three, they made it more coherent. Because those, those mm. were my three problems with the but, first three but movies. But I think
2: the problem is that once they've addressed those concerns, they've gone to lunch and <laughs> forgot that... There were some good things in those first films <laughs> that they threw away. Yeah. And instead, all you're kind of left with is an increasingly tired looking Johnny Depp <laughs> and Jeffrey um, Rush eating everything in sight as far as the scenery is concerned <laughs> and being the best thing in the film. Right. But you've got Blackbeard and Penelope Cruz's character who are not really doing much of anything. No, that's a bit. Sad. I mean, they.
1: Because the two I was looking
2: forward to. Well, they they have. You know, they have their character arcs, but they're really sketched in. Mm. I mean, Blackbeard is just like, oh, he had a. I think it was just, I'm going to die, so I need to get to the Fountain of Youth. A one legged man is going to kill me, and as Jeffrey Rush is playing a one legged man, this doesn't look good for me. Maybe the Fountain of Youth will help me out. Spoilers
0: don't tell them which one legged man kills him, because it's really, the film really hides it well. It's it's a complete. Me- <laughs> well, oh, I could not be more sick of the prophecy story. Like, oh, yeah. why are you doing this? Oh, there was a prophecy that something was going to happen. What, what what is this prophet? Where did you? What are, what are you talking about? No, no it's prophecy. But, Don't. But worry. you know, you,
2: you saw all those people doing things because the rapture was about to happen. So clearly, prophecies are relevant too. Okay, that's our good daily lives. <laughs> there are there's a big audience out there for the prophecy. If, if, honestly,
0: if Blackbeard was on Twitter making fun of of the prophecy, I would have bought the real world comparison. But no, I look. My my, my biggest problem is that the more the sh- the series goes along, the more it descends into fan fiction. In that, you know, Captain Jack in the first one wasn't written as this crazy all over the mm. place. That he was a relatively I'm not going to say straight, but he was written in a certain way and Johnny Depp played him in a really funny, wacky manner. Yes. And as the films have gone along, they've slowly forgotten this until they, they're they now writing this wacky character mm. and it really feels like a piece of fan fiction in which the fan has focused on all the wrong things. Well,
1: it's that sitcom logic, isn't it? It's when a character starts getting popular with the public, we start kind of... Inf- like Subsequent seasons begin exploiting... The catchphrases exactly, and the and the you know the certain looks and all the trademarks of the character without actually focusing getting back to what the character was about in the first place. So exactly,
0: I've s- such a laundry list of other things that annoyed me about the film, but we should probably move on to something else. Hangover two. Hangover two. Have yeah. you seen it? I have not. I haven't seen the first one. Oh, okay. Oh, and okay. I've not seen the second. And well, you've seen both.
2: If you've seen the first one, you've basically seen the second. Um, It is a bit of a a cliche at this early stage to say that it is identical to the first. And and I believe at least one Melbourne critic was quite snooty in saying that if you had problems with it being identical to the first film, you don't understand how sequels work. Um, But you can do the same thing over again without repeating the same thing beat for beat, which is what The Hangover 2 does. Mm. They keep the same character from the first film out of the way as they did. Um,
1: yeah I've not seen Justin Bartha on too many of no the, he's uh, barely in marketing it. materials um, for
2: this. instead of a baby you have a monkey in this yeah instead of Mike Tyson you have well Nick Cassavetes which doesn't really have the same resonance really, not really. No. well that was the it's like that dude from Face Off who who was isn't? yeah well it was that was the Mel Gibson role that yep. then went to Liam Neeson and is now Nick Cassavetes <laughs> <laughs> yeah okay
0: well I will at some point check these out <laughs> Because everyone else has seen them and I feel left out. Yeah. <laughs> uh, one of my favorite films this year, and it wasn't really when I watched it. I really enjoyed it when I watched it. the more I've thought about it, the more it's grown in my estimation. Is Duncan Jones's Source Code. Wow. Oh. I really enjoyed it. It was. It felt really old school science fiction. You know, I, I grew up reading a lot of, uh, you know, Asimov and Arthur C. Clarke. You know, short science fiction stories with high concepts, and uh, this felt like that. And it wasn't just the modern version of movie sci-fi which is uh, aliens come down and it's an action film yeah. you know yeah. it, it actually felt like a proper science fiction concept that was explored it wasn't a remake it wasn't a sequel it wasn't mm. based on anything it was just
2: yeah i i really enjoyed it what do you guys think yeah i i really enjoyed it as well i mean i like i'm a huge fan of science fiction that actually involves a bit of thought mm. which rules out as you said about 90 percent of what passes for science fiction in film form um and I thought it was really interesting that for a science fiction film where the concept was fairly muddy, I, I haven't heard anyone who's had any problems following it. I mean, if you try and explain it, I mean, when I was writing my reviewers trying to explain it, it's, it's not something that rolls off the tongue. But I think enough people now, and, and the example I use is video games. Mm. Most people know the concept of you play a video game, you die, you have to go back and do it again. Yeah, And while they don't, use that metaphor at all in the film I think it's the way that a lot of people have got their head around what's going on in a film that otherwise is quite complicated I even like the ending which I know a lot of people have gone one way or the other on Mm. Um, but I actually thought but again I was coming at it from a science fiction perspective and Mm. I thought the ending while sort of emotionally was perhaps a little pandering to a segment of the audience um, it actually worked well as a science fiction ending to wrap things up and explain it Mm. whereas an ending that um having the film end five minutes earlier which some people have suggested might have been more satisfying to a more cold-hearted and cynical viewer (laughs) um but would have left me at least coming out of the cinema going wait what with what hang on how did that what where yeah yeah and the usual noises I make when coming
0: out of most movies <laughs> usually that's just your reaction to sunlight though yes. that's not
2: that's the, not the film
1: that, yeah I'm one of those cold hearted cynical people I loved this film until the last 10 minutes yeah you're right Lee it does have a great old school feel to it down to the score the score sounded like it could almost be a Jerry Goldsmith an Allen Silvestri <laughs> style mm. kind of you know, um, it really rocketed along. Brilliant! Like I loved the idea. Um, the the whole concept behind the way the, so- the source code works is mm. extremely clever. Now, a lot of people have knocked Jeffrey Wright in this film for kind of overplaying it. I loved it. I, 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 I liked he, that he was he overplaying was having it. so well, much yeah, fun. Yeah. Like what? You know, why great? Like the man is such a great and committed actor, and has been so wonderful in so many things in both film and theatre. Let him have a little fun. Mm. Let him do his gravelly voice and limp. Although the limp did kind of remind me of Will Ferrell's character in Woody Allen's Melinda and Melinda.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Insisted on playing every character with a limp. I've seen that limp in a film before. It's it's getting getting a lot of work these days. It's good. I thought I'd play Hamlet, but I thought I'd do it with a limp.
1: Um, (laughs) The last ten minutes then I thought kind of sold out the film emotionally. I thought it sold out the film's concept. It sort of muddied the waters in terms of how things worked
0: but it's all set up like throughout it's all woven in like the text message just confuses
2: everything it's all no but see the text message i felt because he's not actually going back in time no but it it turned how how much of a spoiler can we give away on this uh yeah uh stop listening for a moment if you haven't if you've not seen this cover your ears now (laughs) because he is going back in time but because it's every time he goes back in time he like writes over the last attempt so, when he goes back in time, But no, 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 no creates an alternate universe. Alternate oh, alternate That's the thing yeah, he's not yeah. running over. He's yeah, creating yeah. an alternative timeline. But, but, but it's but
0: when the alternative timeline hits this timeline. It doesn't. That's though. my problem. No, 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 it doesn't. It doesn't. It's the new timeline. That's why she still has her job. Yes. Is it? Yeah, 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 yeah. No, it is actually. I got the impression it was this time. I did line. it first when I was watching. And I was like, hang on, okay, this is an interesting concept, but it, it's kind of. Yeah, I had the same reaction, and then I realized it was a different timeline, and he. Mm. Uh, yeah,
2: it is. It's, it's, it, I think it's yeah. a film that demands a second viewing <laughs> yeah. for so many reasons. Well, presumably, if, with all the other timelines, there'll be one where you get your unhappy ending. Mm. So you'll just have to pretend that that movie was taking place. <laughs> you know. Okay, everyone who stopped listening,
0: listen in now. <laughs> I said, listen in They can't hear me. Uncover your ears! There we go. There we go. Uh, now, back home. Let's jump back home for a couple of films that have come out. Mad Bastards was out this month. Uh, this is fantastic film. I really thought it was w- it was great. A lot of
1: Australian films haven't quite cut the mustard for me this year, but that Mad Bastards is one that does. Mm. Um, there's an authentic there's a, both a regional and an emotional authenticity to it that really cuts through. Absolutely. Um, and even more so when you see the film's coda and mm. yeah, nicely. What do you think? Um,
2: I think the music worked for me mm. more than anything else. Mm. I think that's that, a huge part of it. Yeah, uh, I think that really sort of brought the um, oh, not so much brought, but gave it a bit more sort of depth, perhaps mm. than it otherwise. Because the story itself was fairly, yeah. you know, the absent father returning home, and you know, will my kids, you know, accept me? And my kid's gone off the rails, and we have got to help him out, and all that sort of stuff. Which is, you know, it worked fine in the film, but isn't something I haven't seen elsewhere. No. But the music, I really felt added something to it and sort of lifted it um, and gave it a bit more of a sort of the local feel as well, as you were Mm. saying. It sort of really grounded it in certain specific people at a specific time in a specific place, Mm. which that sort of story really needs.
0: One tagline I'm surprised that didn't get used is, there's Snowtown like Snowtown. (laughs) Like, I pitched that and (laughs) nobody listened to me.
2: That's uh, (laughs) What am I doing wrong? (laughs) So what, what do we think of Snowtown? Snowtown was a really difficult one for me because I felt it was technically very well made and it clearly hit every it ticked every box that it wanted to it got everything done it was going for but at the end of the film I couldn't help but come out thinking what exactly was the point because it's not like I was more educated about the Snowtown killings from seeing it I learnt very little and talking to other people who have seen it since it's not a film that's educational in any way shape or form you don't know you don't learn who they killed when they killed Uh, and that's not the film's not trying to do that obviously it's trying to create the emotional realism of of what was going on but the moral of the story seems to be that bad people will do bad things which you kind of probably have gathered by now Mm. whatever your age and then you're sort of left with a film that is unpleasant and grueling been very well done but unpleasant and grueling for no no sort of purpose and while I I don't expect I don't think films have to have a purpose we don't need to be educated by our entertainment it just left me thinking why am I watching this film it's it's really well made it's got great performances does an excellent job of creating a mood but there's nothing more to it Mm. it's like well people died (laughs) <laughs> Evil Lots. is bad um, if if your if your stepdad wants you to shoot a dog, probably not a good sign. <laughs> but yeah, beyond that, i was just kind of there and look, I know people um, friends of mine who've seen it have loved it and raved about it, mm. and I can see why I think
0: I think one of them might be sitting to your right Well, I really loved it and <laughs> I was uh, I, I disagree about it being uh, not being educational because okay. I'd actually forgotten. That it was based on a true story, and I honestly did not remember uh, the, the events it was based on until that title card at the end saying what happens to everyone. Oh, okay. And that was a that was a real shock when that happened. But to me, it's not even if it wasn't based on real events. It's one of the clearest insights I've, I've seen into uh, psychopathic behavior and the mob mentality. And a lot of people have said how how bleak it is, and, and I, I, absolutely it is bleak. Like I. I, uh, I'm not sure if it's one of the big, film's biggest problems or its biggest assets that it's just unrelenting in its tone and there's no undulation to it. I found it quite powerful, but I, I've seen bleaker films and this certainly didn't feel like one of the more extreme ones. But obviously, that's a unique or
2: sort of a unique reaction that it's it's hit other people harder. Well, see, I would I would agree to some extent that it, it does a good job of portraying sort of the mob mentality side of things, but it never pays off on that. It's it's not like he whips up an angry mob. Mm. He kind of sits around the kitchen table and talks, you know, we've got to do something about these people. But then it's him and his dubious mate mm. who are doing all the killings. And
1: so, an impressionable teenager. Right?
2: But it's yeah. well, how, then, how could the community let him get away with this? And so, Well, this
0: is a why, you know, some of them were scared of him. Some of them agreed with what he did and he was so able to... I don't
2: think it goes into that enough to justify that mm. on one level because... You see them around the table and they clearly sort of agree something needs to be done. But there's never a sense that... The sense of him being in their midst comes more of like he's a monster that they're too scared to deal with because Mm. the film zeroes down on the family. And it's one of those things where it it just depends how sensitive your personal judgment is to these things, whether it falls on the line of it's exploring these elements Mm. or it just brings them up and doesn't go into them any deeper.
1: Yeah, I'm more in Anthony's corner on this one, but even more so. I Look, I don't think... It's weird, because it, I've been feeling... It seems to happen to me every year with a big Australian film. Mm. Like, with Samson and Delilah and Animal Kingdom, it's sort of happened, and now with this one. To various degrees, but this one, I think, to the most vehement degree. I did not really like this film at all. Um, however, I can't... Deny Kersel's talent as a director, mm. as and his um, cinematographer Adam Arkepore, Um Like the scene, like the, it's beautifully shot and composed, and it's got a great, great sound design, and you know, um, a great command of mood. But the mood is set to one volume for 120 minutes, mm. and it's it doesn't seem to kind of want to explore either any. Sort of sides of that experience. I just felt like it was like, and again, it, I think it was very good at capturing the mob mentality, but not, but as but then as you say, Anthony, it's like he never had a mob of more than three. The others just kind of sat back and let him get away with it. And you weren't quite clear whether that was fear or whether that was because they agreed with him. Um, but in terms of, I didn't think it examined or questioned psychopathy much at all. I felt like it was one of those films that like, it was. It was happy to kind of sit back and watch this stuff happen, and watch the psychological disintegration of of um, of the teenager. God, I've forgotten his name. I should do some research. Teenager. teenager. Yeah, um, I want to. I want to say Justin. That's the name of the, the uh, filmmaker. Um, <laughs> but it's um, yeah. They 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 they. The film seems to be mainly about the disintegration of his mental state and the disintegration of his family. Mm. Um, um, as Bunting kind of sets himself up as the father figure. See, for me, The Boys is the pinnacle of this wave of of bleak Australian, you know, sort of um, rotten bogan type cinema. I think mm-hmm. mm. The Boys is chilling and amazing in ways that I think Snowtown tries its level best to be. I think, I just feel Snowtown is a film that's ten years after its time. I feel like if I saw Snowtown in 2000, I would, it would have blown my hair back. Mm. But in terms of the execution, it just felt like the Australian house style. It felt as much as Warner Brothers Gangster Movies of the 30s or MGM Musicals of the 40s. Um, but we
0: praise those. We f- praise those styles. It felt like a house style. Yeah, yeah, it, yeah it, we, we Yeah, why, why is this different? I don't know. And I, I'm not even yeah. on board with the idea that no, we make a, so that's many... that's a fair point. Yeah. I,
1: I don't know. I just This style, I guess... I guess because there's, there's joy and excitement in the other styles. <laughs> in the end, I... I have to say, I'm one of the few few people I know of that just found it dull. I, mm. I got to the second half, and I just felt like this is just going, and it, it just seemed like a dirge, and and just kept going at the same monotone for two hours. And you know, like I, I look, at, I point to the films of Shane Meadows, and like who can do things like This Is England, wh- which are incredibly harrowing and mm. and great. Looks at exactly the same sort of stuff we're dealing with here, but there's touches of humor and there's touches of and there's touches of true darkness and there's and those films for me because they encompass the whole range of human experience within these situations, are more fulfilling than this.
2: You just wonder if these people... Has anyone said to these directors and film writers that if you have a couple of funny moments or lighter moments, the darker moments will seem much more dark. Yeah, It's kind of like... It's one of those things we are talking earlier about fan fiction where people will watch a movie and come away just remembering the two badass scenes and go, I want to make a movie that's all badass scenes, mm. not realising that those scenes were badass because for most of the, other, the rest of the film, yeah. the character was an average guy, then he was pushed too far. It, Maybe exactly.
1: that's. I've read reviews and heard people speak extremely eloquently and persuasively on how Snowtown has moved them and what amazing things it does, and there's a, there is that small part of me that thinks, if this was European, would I like it? Because I love Michael Haneke's films. And Haneke's been mentioned a lot in regards to Snowtown style. And honestly,
0: I don't know. I don't know if I would like it more if it came from another country. Maybe I would. A few months ago on the podcast, we were talking about the films of John Landis. And uh, he's had a new one come out, which I haven't seen yet. Mm, Uh, It's the
1: first film in 13 years. That is
0: amazing. Was it worth the wait? (laughs) Uh,
1: (laughs) Well, it's funny, Birkenhair is it's the cutest film about two grave-robbing serial killers you'll ever see. Um, I think the film's got a good nature <laughs> about it and a, and a kind of a fun, kind of rollicking, bad-accent-y kind of feel that's, that's, <laughs> that's fun. And there's the occasional kind of Landis directorial touch there that shines through. But I think for the most part, it's just undone by... The jokes are a bit lame. And it's got... Some of the worst editing in a comedy film I've seen in a long time. Like, there's a punchline and then we wait ten seconds and then we go to the next scene, mm-hmm. or you're waiting for the punchline and it never comes. Um, and sometimes it's just really choppy and incongruous, and you're kind of jerked into scenes. And it's something that kind of really deflates any impact the film has, which isn't a great deal. But, but that's the thing. It's kind of if if it's if you're just looking for a good-natured, fun kind of DVD, I guess you could do worse. What do you think, Anthony?
2: Well, uh, I don't know if a good heart is enough to get me into the cinema, to mm. be honest. And a good heart is probably the kindest thing you can say about this film. I mean, it, it clearly means well. It's it's a sort of black comedy that's not, you know, it doesn't shortchange you as far as black comedy goes. They don't sort of pull its punches, which is good in theory, but it's still, you need the comedy part of black comedy. Mm. And it just wasn't funny. I mean... To be honest, I'm not the world's biggest Simon Pegg fan. Um, I think when he's teamed with Nick Frost and he's written the script...
1: With Edgar Wright.
2: Yeah, he can do all right. Well, I didn't mind Paul. I think if he's writing his own material. But in everything else, there's never been a film I've seen him in where I've thought he's the only person they could get to do this. Mm. And in fact, it's like I can think of a dozen people who would do better.
1: A lot of them may have been in the film.
2: Well, yeah, really. I mean, Statistically, they probably were. (laughs) It's... (laughs) Many of the people in the screening I was at could have done better. <laughs> yeah. I think, Aww.
1: but yeah, I think John Landis, for the most part. I mean, in our conversation, I know it came up that he's quite a classicist kind of director. Like he's quite formalist and quite um, directs in a very old Hollywood kind of style. And mm. I think that's to a certain extent here, but I think maybe that it's not as assured. Or uh, uh, and again, I think the editing really uh, brings it undone in that in in regard to his direction mm. and. The script does the rest in terms of bringing it down. <laughs> okay, but well, yeah, but look, you know, it's okay, I guess. Hope hope it's another thirteen. Faint years praise, but I will, <laughs> yeah.
0: I, and yet I will still check it out. Now we've got to end with something happy, a bit of a crowd pleaser. Yeah, uh, and yet we're still going to end with the roundup. Uh, <laughs> the, for those who don't know, it's about the collaboration of the french police with the nazis to round up all the jews in in paris and uh ship them off and um yeah this film pretty much destroyed me wow I was, really uh, okay. i was a weepy mess at the end to, well, you know the woman next to me who was also a weepy mess asked if i was all right and you know was
2: offering <laughs> me tissues where i was just in a daze afterwards um considering i came out bursting with jokes about how Hitler never seemed to go into the office and do any work um, <laughs> because I mean, we in, were probably <laughs> at different screenings. I would say in, in contrast to a lot of Holocaust films, let me explain this one actually sort of, and, and I feel it was one of the film's strengths, but it actually gives you the background. It's not just the usual sort of ground level view. They work mm. their way up through the political system yeah. um, and show how the orders came up and down. But Pretty much every scene involving Hitler had him at a party somewhere, <laughs> yeah. just sort of having a good old yeah. time and then kind of offhandedly going, oh, by the way, get rid of the Jews in Paris if you wouldn't mind. Mm. Um, oh, no, apart from Hitler's first scene. Or roasting his hands over a fire. Yes. Or, you know, playing with kids. Playing or, with kids, playing with his dog. Yes. Which Absolutely. is an interesting, interesting take on it, but mm. after a while I was thinking, didn't... Surely he was in his office at some stage when he did some of his work. I've I've
0: actually long resisted the idea, you know, I, I don't like it when people call Hitler evil. I don't like it when people call any human being evil, even, you know, someone as monstrous as him, because it's such a, a fantasy novel concept, the mm. idea of evil. It's so... Yes. It, it removes us away from understanding. It, it gives you an excuse not yeah. to. Yeah, and and there's nothing more horrifying to me than somebody humanising Hitler and showing him to be a guy who, you know, got along with his family and his friends. And, you know, that terrifies me that that's the same guy who would do what he did. And so that was... I almost found that more terrifying than other films about Hitler, where he's, you know,
2: banging his fists a lot and shouting. Well, it's mm. a lot more realistic. Um, I mean, from the little light, What am I saying the little I know, I've got the... 2,000 page biography of Hitler at my house Um, the way that the Nazis ran things was basically whatever Hitler felt like doing Mm. and just a whole bunch of toadies underneath who would scurry back and forth and so to have him basically giving these orders as offhand things at parties or at social gatherings was I felt a lot more realistic than a lot of other Mm. movies that would have him as you say as a monster, sort of pounding his desk, shouting and storming around. Okay, that's interesting. And I mean, I felt the film as a whole did... I mean, I I wasn't anywhere near as affected as you were, Lee, by it. Mm. But I felt the film as a whole worked quite well as an overview of things. I mean, Mm. it had the ground-level personal thing to it, but it actually went and said, well, this is how this happened. Mm. You know, This was the request that came down and this is how they dealt with it. It felt to me that one of the things driving the film was, uh, I don't know this story particularly well, but I get the feeling that it wasn't something that the French uh, talked up or sort of played up over the last 50 years, and it was made to some extent with, this is our part in things, we should face yeah. it.
1: Mm. As you say, Anthony, I think you got it bang on there by saying it was an overview. It felt like it, it gave us a, a, a great sort of Cliff notes version of what happened, and 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 that's the thing. I mean, we all know about the Vichy collaboration and all that sort of thing. But we but until recently, most people outside of Europe or war historians um, were largely unaware of this event that the French rounded up and sent off their own mm. Jewish people to um, to concentration camps. And this provides an excellent kind of overview of that. And it's very. Uh, but I think in the end, it's more emotional than um, than investigative or. Um, uh, inquisition. Like, I, I just think it, it's, it's more... Um, yeah, I don't think it's as interested in asking questions as to why things happened than just sort of like, this happened, it was horrible, and we need to... And as you say, it's a catharsis. It's a We need to, uh, finally as a nation, admit
0: our complicity in this,
1: which is not a bad thing.
0: Yeah. Um, it, it, it captures the disbelief, I think, that it's not an invading force that's doing it as much as your friends and neighbours who are yeah. under... Th- Doing the bidding of an invading force, yeah, and I think that's that's a lot of the horror and like the just this disbelief that permeates so much of it. No one can quite believe this is happening. Like, when's it going to stop? Because this is we're imagining this, right? You know, there there just seems to be this this really uh, this intense lack of comprehension that um, I don't really feel I've seen before. I I see where you're coming from with that, Lee, Mm. and the early scenes are quite
1: harrowing in their sort of, you know and, and it's it's, well, it's kind of weird. It's sort of it sort of has this very kind of idyllic kind of neighborhood feeling. And it's like for a while it's like the war something is happening from outside. We're not going to be touched by this. Mm. Yeah. And then eventually it very insidiously creeps in.
2: Yeah. It didn't hit me emotionally for some reason. Um, and it might have been just because the events around the film to a large extent were they it felt it felt educational I felt I was being it was a film that was telling me about stuff rather than trying to make me feel in anything well, that's but funny superficial I'm, way I'm yeah.
1: somewhere in between like I, I, like I feel like I feel it was more emotional and more a catharsis than an educational experience but it but it didn't move me as much as it moved Lee like, also, yeah, I, so I, I, I think somewhere between I you two
0: well, we're very much the three bears of... Uh, yeah. We are this, indeed. This film is too academic. This film is too emotional. This film is just right. I feel gold, if Goldilocks is listening to this, <laughs> it's my review she's going to go with. I just wanted Melanie Laurent to, you know,
1: blow
2: up, blow up the theatre with all the Nazis in it. I just wanted Jean Renaud to, you know, start going for some payback. <laughs> I'll tell
0: you what, we could probably fill an hour <laughs> with the Roundup versus <laughs> Inglorious Bastards. Versus the professional. I- <laughs> <laughs> I could fill an hour without letting anyone talk so <laughs> now Mr. Morris please tell us who have you picked for your hell is for hyphenates filmmaker of the month
2: <laughs> well th- this is probably a bit of a controversial choice amongst people who enjoy films that are generally perceived to be good um, <laughs> I I have chosen Neil Labute, director of such modern day classics as the remake of The Wicker Man and the remake of Death is a Funeral. (laughs) And I have to ask, why? Yeah, what was the motivation here? Well, part of the motivation was that I think he has a really interesting career in that um, as a director who sort of came out of the the indie scene in the, the mid to late 90s, he's one of the few directors who came out of that who was still working consistently um, but also because his first film, um, in the company of men is probably, well, is easily in my top 10 films of all time and probably in the top three. So he kind of gets wow. a lifetime pass for me from that. Wow. Um, I also really enjoy uh, his second film, your friends and neighbors, and I'm quite a fan of his playwork because, um, aside from being a Hollywood director of mid-level junk, um, <laughs> He's also a quite quite well-known playwright. He tends to write, I think it's roughly a play a year, plus a few sort of monologues and and other shorter bits. Um, And yeah, has a play out a year, usually attracts a fairly big name cast in the theatre world to it, and has quite a strong career as a playwright. So to some extent, his modern day Hollywood career is what he does for money, Mm. (laughs) or or more accurately, um, what he does because he likes directing. From Mm. what I've read... Um, from interviews with him he likes directing as a skill and is quite happy to exercise that skill as far as other people's projects go you've you've
0: partly answered a lot of questions i had i was going to have as we went along
2: (laughs) (laughs) after the company of men and to a lesser extent your friends and neighbors a lot of people i think perceive him as uh, a playwright whose plays will have twist endings and involve Mm. horrible men being cruel to women um, sort of
1: like David Mamet meets M. Night Shyamalan. Well, David,
2: <laughs> well, pretty much. David Mamet is a, an obvious and a big influence on him, yeah. both as his um, career path and his work. But his his plays have sort of moved away from that a little bit. Mm. Um, and it's a, a real shame to me that he hasn't done more film work that he scripted himself.
1: Mm. Yeah, I'm inclined to agree there. As, <laughs> as we'll get
0: on. Considering the quality of the films he's directed <laughs> for other people. Well, his first film in the company
2: of men. I was really, really impressed with this one. Oh, look! It's as I said, it's one of my favourite films of all time, Um, and I think it pretty much gets everything right. Um, It's funny in a horrible way, Mm. but it's it's a funny film. It's tightly plotted. Um, It has a good twist ending that it comes out of the characters; it doesn't come out of nowhere. Absolutely, yeah. Um, And to some extent, I mean, it doesn't get mentioned too often, but it's a pet theory of mine. At least, it's a really good satire on romantic comedies, in that the way that it ends is, it's the traditional romantic comedy arc of two characters meet, one of them has a dark secret, they get along fine, then the other one discovers the secret, says, "I can't be with you," Mm. and then at the end they get back together, but. In this film, it doesn't play out that way. It plays out a more realistic and a much more unpleasant fashion. <laughs> yeah, which yeah, and no, it's a nice inversion of the of the romantic comedy structure. I'm not sure it's intentional. Um, really, having if you listen to the commentary on the on your um, your friends and neighbours, it sounds like the original script was quite a bit more sprawling, and they really edited it down. And I get the feeling that um, your friends and neighbours is probably a better guide to the kind of structure that um, In the Company of Men originally would have had.
1: Now, this is kind of... uh, I might bridge these two here. I'm kind of... like I I was too really impressed with elements of In the Company of Men. I thought the script was dynamite. Mm. Um, The acting was mostly... Fantastic. I mean, Eckhart is just
2: so, so yeah. good. He's, he's still coasting on that, I reckon. I, I seriously think that's. <laughs> he's been playing incredible assholes. <laughs> well, yeah, it's. I mean, and he doesn't. He hasn't played an asshole in ages. It's always a disappointment to sit through something like Rabbit Hole. He is terrific. F- Have
1: you seen Tailhead? Uh,
2: no. He's terrific in Tailhead. Okay. I forgot he was in that. Yeah. yeah, he's, yeah.
1: he's terrific as the uh, child molester <laughs> in uh, Tailhead. But I. Yeah, I. But. That my issue came uh, with um, in the company of men um, came with the direction. I just like as far as the direction of the actors was mostly fine, but uh, the film just looks like a filmed play. Yeah, it looks like someone that has no idea how to stage the mm. film. I know what you <laughs>
2: mean, and I do agree with you. It, it is to some extent, um, it's his writing that I'm the fan of, mm. not yeah. so much his direction. Um, that said, I think in his later films. He's shown a bit more technical facility. I think he can. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I like yeah. yeah.
1: oh, absolutely. We'll we'll get to that. But, but uh, it, I'm. I've got to say, when I was I'll Bridge the film, I'm a much more of a fan of Your Friends and Neighbours, his okay. second film. Mm. This really shocked me. Okay. Why isn't? Why wasn't this film nominated for awards? I was in terms of. The, I thought the writing was just as sharp as in The Company of Men. Some of it. Covered similar ground, but I thought some of it covered different ground. I like the diversity of relationships.
2: I think it those covered film, well. I mean, it's always
1: Jason Patrick's monologue <laughs> in this. That was song.
0: That's, that's a jaw dropper. Yeah. yeah, and, and the hilarious. whole his whole performance is yeah. just oh, like he's psychopathic he's, in it. Yeah, yeah.
1: he's a, he's a glorified date rapist. Yes. Oh, it's not even it's, a glorified.
0: <laughs> no, no, <laughs> it's just yeah. it's up front. That's yeah. what he's about. Oh, yeah. it's unbelievable. Yeah, I was really blown away by him, but um. In the Company of Men really felt like... It was almost... In terms of a a film about modern-day Malays. it was as potent as Fight Club. Like, it really felt like thematically it was just, yeah, this is what society is, where this is how we need to entertain ourselves or feel real.
1: See, I felt that more about your friends and neighbours.
0: Well, yeah, look, that was... I, I feel it's a film just short of greatness like, I absolutely loved it and there was just something n- missing but I don't know what it was because everything was so top notch but I I found it really interesting that the it, they're not misogynistic films and from the reputation that he has I was expecting misogynistic films they're characters about people who, uh, mostly men, who have power issues and want to excise power over people and most of the time it's women but but it's it's so often. I think not. a lot of his
1: characters are misogynistic, but I have but but I think it's the same as Lars Von Trier. It's that the filmmaker is not misogynistic. They're exploring yeah. issues yeah. of misogyny. Well, well, and Lars is another. Uh, <laughs> well, yeah. See, well, I've I've I I absolutely believe he's not a misogynist. Okay, but, but it, and well, yeah, I
0: feel the same about Neil Labute. I, I feel he he
1: examines misogyny and as you say, people with power issues.
0: Yeah yeah cuz they'll, they'll do they'll play mind games with it's men as well as women yeah. Yeah. you know
2: Well in the company of men and I've I've read interviews with him where he said that you know there are scenes in the film where looked at from a certain angle you would wonder why those scenes were in the film but he said he really wanted to make sure that everyone knew that Chad wasn't just a hater of women. He yeah. hated everyone yeah. across the board. The there hate was, that guy yeah, scenes. There yeah. was you know, just, always. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. So many of those moments where he's just hating on anyone. Mm. I do have to say, one of the things that I like about Neil the Butte and his films is that he's not. He's quite happy to go and just, you know have something like your friends and neighbours end on the horriblest note you can think of if you've made a film like this why not just end it on a giant fuck you to the audience <laughs> yeah, and yeah, just go yeah. no 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 there's no it's not going to end well for anyone in this one
1: what I like about the ending though ostensibly like you know in a kind of a Google Earth view everyone gets what they want
2: yes yeah. everyone gets what they wanted
1: Yeah, but it's all made everything worse yes <laughs> and, and well, like, when god wants to punish so, you like, he you grants you has got someone who can get it up and fuck her trouble yes. her. that's all he wants to do yeah you know aaron eckhart's got the the person who makes love to him better yes. than anyone else his hand except it's not working anymore no you know it's no.
2: like well yes ben stiller has got you know he's had his fling with his student and he's footloose and fancy free but his students yeah. not that into him, and he's like no. he's still. But that's part of what make what I really like about his writing is that he's quite happy to make these characters who are massively lacking in self awareness mm. and blindly grope for things that they think they want or have been told that they want. Mm. I mean, you get that as well with um, you know, in the company of men that um, Matt Malloy's character should really have spent like a year and a half on his own, working out his shit. <laughs> but instead it's like, oh no, I'll jump back into this when I've got no clue what mm. I want or what I'm doing. Yeah. And just basically it all falls apart. Now let's put a, <laughs> a, a
0: coder on that. Let, let's call that classic Laboot. <laughs> <laughs> let's just refer yeah. to that. We'll put that away in a drawer, those and, two films. And, and this is the price I pay for wanting to... Discuss. Well, it's not, because I have a feeling that... You were the odd man out on Nurse Betty because I love this film.
1: Yeah, I really so, dug it too. Yeah. It's kind of like his lifeless ordinary. I really, <laughs> <it>. <laughs> which Lee would probably not agree with. Well, no, 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 no. Look, I would agree with that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah,
2: I really liked it when I saw it the first time, um, but watching it again recently, it really felt like, and it, it felt a little bit like it at the time as well. But sort of a summing up of every '90s sort of quasi indie film tick where you've got sort of the meta reality of the soap opera you've got the two hit men you've got mm. some gratuitously gory violence that's mm. a bit over the top and second time round it just really felt of its time and a late example of that kind of film as well where mm. everything and I mean they do go to, to some extent to try and enliven it a bit I mean having Chris Rock and Morgan Freeman as the hit men is you know much better casting than just getting two surly white guys yeah but it just, it really felt like, it felt like the first film that he didn't write, and mm. which is mm. what it is, but it felt like that in a bad way. It felt me, like
1: but. an apologia to some extent for, like, I've been so horrible, like, my characters <laughs> have been so horrible to women in my mm. first two movies. I'm going to make <laughs> a really cute film where the female's the hero. <laughs> and, and
0: look, I got to say, I, this is the reason I defend Renee That This performance is. Uh, yeah, she's terrific. Oh, she's great. Oh, justifies it justifies her entire career. Uh, I think
1: between this and Bridget Jones's Diary, absolutely, yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. But yeah, it's it's look, it's I think it's a great performance, and I really do uh, rewatching it recently. I think it really holds up. Uh, okay. I do know what you mean about all the the tropes of the nineties in it.
1: it's very much of its time, but I think it's so well cast, and it is. It's you know, it's reasonably unpredictable, and it's. Um, it's And it's really polished. I think it's still almost his best job as a director for hire. Okay. Like, it seems to really hang together well. There's a visual style there. that's It's the least stagy of his films until the ones that come, I guess, later on. Um, and, it, yeah, I think... I th- it, it's really strange. He seems to take a quantum leap. But it's, it's interesting, for his first three films, he seems to take a quantum leap as a director each time. Yeah, yeah. And then we get to the fourth.
2: Well, I think now, Well, I think with um, Nurse Betty as well, it's clearly the work of somebody who has a a wide range of things to prove. Mm. I mean, Mm. uh, your friends and neighbours as well, to some extent, which I think um, he really wanted to show, I can do this again, but bigger and sort of in a slightly different direction. And then with Nurse Betty, it's like, well, I can also direct a real film, Mm. as it were, with action as well as dialogue.
0: Now, let me ask you this. Possession, his next film, Yes. Is it a joke? <laughs> like, like, is it a joke film? Like, what possessed him to make right. this film? Well, it's not
2: real, right? From what I've heard, um, he was a huge fan of the book, and there was some talk recently that he was uh, in discussion about maybe doing a radio adaptation of it. So clearly, he may be aware he didn't do that good a job <laughs> the first time around.
1: Maybe this I is guess. far and away his worst film for me. Okay. It is an absolute. I have to agree. Shit pile. Yep. it is dull it's
0: laughable by the end it's <laughs> like it's someone who writes such incisive cutting revealing dialogue about characters someone who built his reputation on that the dialogue in this film is a awful. joke the characters are just <laughs> cliches it, you've got
1: good actors just st- and it's really st- like it's shot in a really stilted fashion as well you got kind of characters just kind of standing in frame awkwardly and really stagily delivering lines and then waiting for reactions like it's it's like all of his directorial skills that he'd amassed to that point had deserted him and the film moves like a snail that's been shot in the back it's (laughs) it's (laughs) yeah Yeah. I (laughs) struggle to and the film like it sets up this whole conceit of it's a detective story we're going to investigate you know what this affair i'm going to prove that this affair happened they proved that the affair happened 35 minutes in the movie yeah. why are we sitting there for another hour or something talking about somebody's baby who we couldn't give a crap about and then they you know they, they, of course it comes to that twist ending but you don't care yeah. and where does the possession element come into it like you sort of i, I thought it was, was this whole possessed. sort of thing like they were going to you know mirror the behavior mm. of the people they were investigating that never happened no Look, you sort of get to the end. And it's like, oh, and there's no chemistry between Kid um,
2: uh, Paltrow and Eckhart whatsoever. It, it really felt for me this one that was a a film that he did to get some money, but also, <laughs> but also it was one Neil. Of those, gotta eat, but it's also one of those films I think where you've got a director who doesn't know his own best interests to some extent and likes this book a lot and isn't. Yeah, he likes the book a lot he's also a director clearly then I should direct the book because (laughs) I have these two things Mm. but his skills aren't appropriate to the project Mm. and I feel the light touch the, the specific kind of touch that the book required is not a touch that he has and so you get this adaptation that is technically you know proficient to some extent in that it does you know it ticks the boxes that this kind of film requires but does so in quite a lifeless and mechanical way mm. with all his work for higher films i can see why you'd get him to do it but it's interesting looking at his career overall i think in that you can sort of plot out the areas where it makes sense to get him to direct mm. that film but it proved to be a bad idea to get <laughs> him to direct it
1: i just think it's even getting him i think it's
2: really sketchy
1: in terms of like, yeah, there's a little bit of people, uh, I guess, you know, the, uh, particularly, um, the, you know, the, the writers being fairly, you know, manipulative within the relationships of those around them in mm-hmm. order to sort of carry on their own affair. But it's a fairly tenuous line
2: in terms of... Well, you, know, you have to appeal. go a long way to find that. You do. In there. You, do. Yeah. Yeah. you really the, have to dig. You have yeah. to look sort of at the Hollywood side of things where it's like, here's a project that involves characters and a lot of dialogue here's a director who can do characters and dialogue yeah. and I think a lot of the time it's it really is on that level it's kind of like it's a midlist project mm. it's not a project that we're you know no big name director wants to do here's a guy who's passionate about it the book sold reasonably well Yeah, um, and he's got a touch with actors and this is an actorly film he's as good oh. as anyone to do it and yeah. then you get a film that is like yeah this looks like a film that they got Yeah. That guy to do. I
1: I thought it was even barely technically proficient. Like, I mean, it was reasonably well (laughs) Well, shot. It was was nicely shot,
0: pleasantly shot, I guess. Mm -hmm. The editing was appalling. Yeah. yeah. But for someone who, like, watching his early films, I thought, my God, this guy's the next David Mamet. And then his next film, Following Possession, The Shape of Things, I thought, wow, this... Guys, is, is sort of a C-grade Kevin Smith. This is uh, That was the impression I got from really? Shape of Things, yeah. The
2: problem with the Shape of Things, I think, as far as being a movie goes, is that it was really, from all accounts, the project was, we've had these guys together. We've done this play for ages. Let's just film it so we have a record of it. And they've mm. said that was the plan. And then they got slightly more money mm. and went, oh, well, let's make it a film. And so you sort of have this halfway thing between... A quite obviously filmed play that yeah. doesn't really broaden out into becoming an actual film, and yeah, you end up with that Kevin Smith sort of er- level of directorial vision where it's just. Oh, see, I felt the exactly
1: the same about this as I did about Company of Men. I
0: okay. thought the script was dynamite.
2: Really? Yeah.
0: Okay. Loved really, it. the
2: script's yeah. the, th- the main thing I
0: have the problem with. Really? Yeah. yeah. Oh, oh, God, I, I, God, I don't like it. the characters. I don't like what they do, and I. I oh, but I think that's part it. of the
1: point. I think it has a lot to say about about modern culture about about that whole thing about women that you know that sort of perception that women want to change their man and you even hear about you know people that stay and men and women that stay with people because they think they can change them yeah yeah and this takes that to a monstrous degree I
0: yeah I, after the fact I can see that but yeah watching the film it just yeah it didn't
1: but in terms of same as, as in the company of men it like it looks like a film to play uh, you mm-hmm. know it's it's slot it's better sh- it's more cleanly shot they
2: obviously had a lot more money yes. the problem I have with the shape of things is that it's a film what's well, a script where you've got a beginning point and an end point and there's the bit in between where no one is that interested. It's like we have to show the relationship developing for the end to work. Mm. But it's kind of like the end's what I'm interested in. But yeah, it it felt to me like that was the point that he wanted to make. Mm. But it was kind of like, oh well if I'm gonna make this point, I've got to you know, it might have worked better as a poster. Or, yeah, you know, I don't know. something I, I, else. I was a little
1: story. more interested in the development of the relationships. Yeah. But, um, yeah, no, I thought this film was reasonably okay. successful. I thought it was okay. a relative return to form. It certainly
0: felt like a step up from possession. Well, okay. um, you know. Yes, okay. But then throwing <laughs> yeah. up in a toilet would. <laughs> now we come to the now infamous Wicker Man
2: remake. Oh, oh. This, this is the film that, when I, I say that I'm a fan of Neil LaBute, people who know his work yeah. tend to know the Wicker Man and, more importantly, tend to know a couple of clips from YouTube of Nicolas Cage gnawing on scenery and just assume that the entire movie is Nicolas Cage just running back and forth in front of the camera, clutching his head. Um, I would have loved that movie. Don't, don't worry, I'm sure Nicolas Cage will get around to it right.
1: See, I was a bit... I was. Both elated and disappointed at the fact that it wasn't quite all that YouTubey <laughs> a craziness. A lot of it is really dull. Um, as a procedural, it doesn't have a lot of interest, and I think it suffers in comparison with the original. I'm I'm not a great, I'm I'm not a massive fan of the original Wicker Man, but it doesn't definitely does have a, an off kilterness that works. But it also works with the piousness of Edward Woodward's character. Yes. it's this sort of mm. you know old school uh, Catholicism Christian. You know, belief um, mashing up against rampant paganism, and that I think gives the Wicker Man a lot of its drive and a lot of its um, kind of moral rage. And Mm. you know, and I think this by not going in that path with Cage's character, it lacks that. And I think a lot of it is it. It seems to be Neil Labute has been offered this job, taken it on, and then. Whether he's wanted to do this or been told to do this or whatever, he's he's beat it into shape to make it a Neil Labute script. So instead yeah. of the instead of the whole religious undercurrent, we make it more about gender relations. We well, make the, it more yeah. about relationship manipulation. We make it more mm. about and and I think while it's kind of like a noble attempt, I don't think it succeeds.
0: Yeah, I. Look, I, I I think it certainly lacks the context of the original. It needed to find something that was as biting as yeah. as, as that clash yeah. that you were talking about, and it didn't quite find it. And and look, I was saying he, I don't think he's a misogynist because I think he likes telling stories about misogynistic yeah. characters. The Wicker Man actually felt really misogynist to me. It is kind of in a misogynist world, isn't okay, it? Okay, good, it's not just me. Uh, yeah. yeah, it really felt quite anti-woman. Well, mm. and- <laughs> it is an island of ladies that... Well, <laughs> seduce I, and destroy viral,
1: yeah. uh, you know, a long con pregnancy kind of situation. Well,
2: I think that's, I mean I think that's the problem maybe with, spoiler, well one of the many problems that the, the Wicker Man remake has is that I think they've got in Neil LaPute because they've said well and especially for making an American version of the Wicker Man uh, I think the sort of Catholicism, paganism conflict probably felt like too much of a hot potato mm-hmm. or which would have made
1: it a better film yeah
2: but that's the thing either it was too much too difficult to do or something they felt had been done or you know wasn't a conflict whatever reason changing that to having a male-female dynamic is I think why they probably got Neil LaBeauty in but it's just not powerful enough Mm. for the film it's not something I mean not to excuse the film too much but you can see why if you were making a remake of The Wicker Man you might think that having it being men versus women would be one way to go and you yeah. could get some mileage out of it but when it comes to actually making the film you suddenly got fantasy island of strange women yeah. and it takes it away from the, the actual male-female conflicts that he does so well in his other films which are grounded in real life
0: yeah no I do pay that you have yeah. like
2: a fantasy film and it's suddenly like well this isn't a real conflict whereas the yeah. in the original the Catholicism versus paganism it works at the island as a creepy weird island because Everyone knows pagans are creepy and weird. (laughs) And I I think his directing
1: suffers too. I don't think his directing is great in this film either. No, it's
2: not fantastic. But that's the thing. He's he's not a fantastic director, but he gets the job done. And I really think to a large extent, and part of the reason why I want to talk a bit about him tonight, was because he is one of these directors that doesn't get any sort of props. Mm -hmm. Because, you know, everyone goes, Michael Bay, he's terrible, he's great. And you've got A-level directors people know about. But then below that, you have this level of guys that get the job done. Mm. But they're not fantastic directors. They don't, you know, no one comes out of the movie going, oh, my God, that looked awesome. But they can tell a story. And even with the the disappearance of the B film in Hollywood, there's still a market for that level of film where it's like, well, we just need the story. (laughs) We just need it to look like a movie. Because Lord knows there's enough stuff that goes straight to DVD that doesn't even look like a movie.
1: Yeah. I like that you said Disappearance of the Bee film too. And <laughs> the Wicker Man. Yeah, <laughs> uh, uh, thanks for,
2: thanks for <laughs>
0: retroactively <laughs> making me look nicely done. Good with that one. <laughs> <The bees>. uh, <laughs> did it's not in the film. Did he write Lakeview Terrace? No, he didn't. No. He didn't, okay.
2: No, but pretty much everything, I think one of the other reasons why he gets work is that when people hire him for the film, it's like, well, here's your directorial money. And while you're here, if you wouldn't mind giving it a once-over... Ah, yeah. oh, right. And Two so, for the price yeah. of one. Yeah. Uh,
1: yeah, the, in, Anthony was saying about you know directors that get the job done, do a competent job. I thought this was that movie. I think yeah. this is the one that illustrates it. His directing's a lot better. This feels like a really solid B
2: movie. Yeah. yeah. Well, this is probably my favourite of his non-scripted films. Mm. Um, I mean, I think the ending is a bit weak. It's It's a bit over the top. Yeah, it it kind of goes. And I think listening to the commentary on it, he actually says, well, this is a bit over the top. (laughs) But I think my
0: big problem with the film is I I was watching it thinking, I really hope they don't give... Samuel L. Jackson's character some silly pat motivation like wouldn't it suck if it turned out that oh his wife had left him for a white man yeah. <laughs> so he couple and sure enough there it is well his most recent film at time of recording is 2010's Death at a Funeral which I which have not seen well, uh, it's part two of his Ron Glass disagrees with his daughter's white partner duology. It's <laughs> <laughs> a series of films yes. he's making. I and knew you'd keeping, like that.
1: I, I like that he's keeping Shepherd Books' career alive as it well. Is. Yeah. <laughs> um, no, yes, this is, that is so true. Yeah, yeah it's the exact same <laughs> character. Exact same yeah. character. <laughs> <laughs> I, I would
0: love it if it did turn out to be the same character who just travels around disapproving of his <laughs> daughters. <Our> He's <laughs> fathered like ten daughters and they're all going out <laughs> with white dudes. Um No, look, I, uh, I really wasn't a fan of the original. Uh, it was too self-consciously quaint. I thought it was really trying way, way, way too hard and I didn't really find any of it funny beyond Alan Tudyk and... <laughs> um, Peter Dinklage. Pe- yeah. Peter Dinklage. Yes. Um, thank you. This film, therefore, you know, you, you sort of go in thinking it's going to be this really cynical, horrible destruction of the original, but not liking the original, I thought it was about the same. It I wasn't also that thought f- it was slightly better. Yeah, I'd, I'd I, th- I think. That, yeah. I think sure. that
1: kind of crassness in the British version, and mm. particularly the way the British version was directed, it just seemed really twee. Yes. Just, whereas in this, it seemed really appropriate. Like, the crassness kind of comes... You know that sort of American comedy. You know we're, so, we're yeah. used to so much crassness in American comedy that it sort of goes with the territory. And there's a lot, and there's a lot of really good actors. And you know there's there's some. The first film lacked, I think, really good one-liners. I think this has got a lot a, a lot of better one-liners
0: delivered by Chris Rock and like slightly better one-liners. It's <laughs> yeah, I don't know. There's I, a little too much mugging.
1: Oh yeah, oh yeah, Martin Lawrence in particular. My God, why do they let that man on screen?
0: Well, this and that. It sadly qualifies as his best performance ever. Um, and it's not that good.
2: The thing, just to, to digress slightly, that I found interesting, not having seen the film, but having read a couple of interviews you know, Labute's done about it, was that he was quite upfront in saying, because people would say, why are you remaking this film? The, the original is still showing in cinema, pretty much. <laughs> and he was quite upfront in saying that he wants to do comedy. Hmm. And he said, this is hopefully how I can get into doing comedy. And it seems, to some extent, that his directorial career has been him showing that he can do things, including comedy. Yeah, including <laughs> comedy, to um, <laughs> to hopefully you know be able to one day. I shouldn't say that. Do a direct comedy, <laughs> but yeah, which I mean, made me want to see the film slightly more. Mm. But look, as a
0: film, it's fine. It's yeah. not that funny, but it's all right in in the context of Laboot's career. I. I I don't know. I think this is the guy who made *In the Company of Men*. It it made me sad. <laughs> it's been a really odd career to watch, and I kind of want to do it memento style <laughs> and finish within *The Company yeah. of Men*. I think that's the way to.
1: I think I would like to see him adapt more of his own plays. And and as I heard some news recently that him and Aaron Eckhart were looking at reuniting for a film adaptation
2: of one of his plays called *The Geography of Hope*. He's one of these guys who. There's always, he's always got a bunch of things in the fire. I suppose like any Hollywood director who continues to work, you've got to be doing stuff. Mm. But there was also talk earlier this year of him doing an adaptation of one of his short stories from his book, um, Seconds of Pleasure. I think that's the name of it. Um, but supposedly, and more disappointingly for everybody in this room, I think, it seems that his next film will be the adaptation of an Agatha Christie murder mystery mm. filmed in some British stately manner. I'm sure Martin Lawrence will be great in it well (laughs) I mean on the one hand it's disappointing but on the other hand well you know he he made a couple of decent films and fingers crossed he might make another one one day let's all cross our fingers he still has it in him
0: well thank you very much for joining us thanks very much for having me it was a pleasure Pleasure. and um, until next month everybody keep watching stuff
1: bye